as Brian said, we're going to have uh, a more informal time today, and uh, Pastor encouraged us to look back over First uh, Peter and what we've learned in the past, and and just share some of the stuff that has uh, spoken to us personally. So I'd like to do that today, and I need to help myself know when to stop. It didn't take me too far into the book before I knew I had something to share. First Peter chapter 1 verse 1 says Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I thought about how significant that is to me. I usually don't pay attention to who writes what I read. And I, I click on a lot of news feeds that Google sends me and other kinds of articles. And I don't know about you, but I almost never look at who wrote that information. I just read it, enjoy it, and it comes into my life. But sometimes there are uh, things that are significant or books that are recommended. And those are the times when uh, I'm more likely to pay attention to the author and what do people say about him and and whatnot. Um, Peter, as the author of this letter, gives me confidence. Because of what I have read about Peter in the Gospels and Acts, uh, I identify with him better. You know, he was, I think, a typical young Jewish male. He was blue collar like me. He was a fisherman. I was a farmer kid. So that alone helps me uh, pay attention and, and identify with him. Um, he left that occupation when Jesus asked him to, and I can kind of identify with that in the sense that Gene and I felt called to the missions. And I left uh, my work in engineering, and we went and had our career in the Philippines as lay missionaries. Um, Peter would have had a good knowledge of the Old Testament. and But as a fisherman... He didn't have the kind of knowledge background that like the Apostle Paul did, um, who was more on the theological side and was um, more like what we would have as pastors and, and theologians. So again, I, I identify with Peter. I did before we went to seminary uh, to the Philippines, I went to seminary and I took Greek for uh, three semesters before I realized that um, I shouldn't be a pastor. <laughs> if I had such a hard time in Greek, I don't know that I would have done very well in Hebrew. But I can remember one of our, our Greek professors talking about Peter. And he said, you know, most of the New Testament writers, they're, they're writing along in script. He said, Peter didn't. It was more like a chalkboard. <laughs> and so, again, you know, I, I go, yeah, I get it. Um, here's a guy that's more like me. And uh, so, so I come into the book already 
in a favorable attitude. Um, but unlike me, Peter had the chance to be an eyewitness of Christ. And he saw miracles, even did miracles when Jesus sent them out uh, in, in pairs and, and they cast out demons and stuff. Pretty awesome, you know? Um, and I like the fact that uh, he, like the other apostles, uh, when you read the New Testament, there were times that they, they just didn't get it. They didn't really understand what Jesus was saying, and they were confused, and they were asking each other. And uh, later on, I, I can remember uh, one of Peter's comments is, is that um, uh, Paul writes things that are hard to understand. <laughs> And so people take advantage of that as his point. But I'm going, yeah, I, I agree. You know, um, sometimes when I read Paul, I feel like he's 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 that theologian and he's he's teaching me and debating type of thing. Um, but Peter just is is sharing uh, his his feelings for these people that are are like uh, what the, the verses were read. They're suffering. They're Jews that have have gone out in the diaspora, and um, he went. He he's their leader. Um, like me, he wanted to be brave, but in Jesus' trial, uh, he said, "I don't know him." You know, he his bravado in real time was put down and I and I have sometimes a lot of bravado <laughs> that uh, uh, sometimes works but sometimes it doesn't and but after after the resurrection he became super brave and I just you know that that, that courage that comes from realizing that you're loved in spite of who you are Christ died for your sins um it's powerful, and it helps us. Uh, Peter was willing to be beaten after that for, for preaching about Christ. And he would put him in prison. Um, I, I just really admired this guy. God, God used him and took him into leadership in the next level. Interesting that he would choose a, a fisherman rather than a Paul at that point. Um, I think about Peter that uh, God had to say, yes, you're a Jew, but the kingdom is bigger than Judaism. And, and God gave him that vision, you remember, of the food that included both clean and unclean, and God says, kill and eat. And he goes, no way, God. He fought against God and said, the law doesn't allow us to. And God had to say, you know, what, what God has made clean, don't declare as unclean. You guys have been taught. I have given you the Old Testament, and you're my people, you Jews. But now something different is happening. And the door, somebody was knocking on the door, and there was Gentiles like me, non-Jews. Uh, and, and God had to use that powerful thing in his life to help him realize that the kingdom of God is for Gentiles too. And so Peter went and, and uh, visited the house of this uh, um, uh, 
Jew, a non-Jewish Cornelius. The spirit was evident there, and it was something that God used not just for Peter, but but then when Peter had, came back and people were challenging him, you went to the Gentiles, and and because of the, the spiritual power of what took place, he was able to say, this is what happened. God showed us that that we can be preaching to the Gentiles also. He led the new church as it was growing and it was being persecuted. And I think of the, the time, you remember the, the account of Ananias and Sapphira. Peter is the one that was, was presiding over that assembly, that meeting. And I put myself in his place and thinking, okay, you know, uh, God's helped me to lead this church. And then uh, you've got this offering and people are donating, you know, selling land and, and Barnabas, I think, did it. And then, and then you have somebody that comes and somehow God helped Peter know that when Ananias came in and said, here's the money for, that we got from the offering, God helped Peter to know that it wasn't the right amount. And he said, was that what you had? No. You lied to the Holy Spirit. And it says that Ananias dropped down and died right there in the church service. And I'm thinking, whoa. And then his wife comes in and the same thing happens. And Peter says, the, the, the young men that, that uh, carried out your husband for lying are going to be carrying you out too. You know, fortunately that didn't happen very often after that that I'm aware of. But God used it in Peter's life in the early church to show I'm serious about the daily choices of life. I'm serious about not just what your doctrinal stance is, but are you living righteously? I mean, like, don't lie. (laughs) Don't try to deceive other people because the Holy Spirit knows our lives he knows our spirit and he knows if we're cheating and Peter's the guy that was right in the heart of all that and now it's natural when I read the rest of the book and I'm thinking no wonder he's saying be good don't be bad I mean the Proverbs we joke about that in our family when uh, we read a few proverbs every morning after breakfast, we have tradition forever and ever and ever. And uh, it didn't take long for our oldest son to kind of catch on. And one day he goes, I think I get it in the proverbs. You're supposed to do good and don't do bad. And yeah, that's kind of a summary of the whole thing. And the book of Peter, I see the same way. There's all kinds of different words and phrases that are used to say, be good. Don't do bad. An example, you know, there's the, the one that says, uh, put away malice and envy, slander. That's don't do bad. And, and you would find, you know, dozens and dozens of that stuff in the book of Peter. And it makes sense when you realize that here's a man who grew up in the Proverbs, do good, don't do bad. But now he has seen his Lord who was resurrected from the dead and he's going, oh, that's what he meant. He was telling us ahead that we couldn't figure it out. And so now this gospel is also permeating the book of First Peter. 
do good, don't do bad. But also remember that you are elect. God chose you. He caused you to be born again. Um, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. You are guarded by God's power. The grace will be brought to you is a phrase that's used in verse 13. Um, verse 18 and 19, he talks about you were ransomed from your feudal way. You didn't earn that by you doing good and not doing bad. That was a God thing. That was something that God did in the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He ransomed us. And that's powerful stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff in this book that I don't understand. Words, phrases, um, purified by our obedience. I don't really quite understand how that fits, but Peter felt comfortable in, in putting stuff that's easy to understand, like those words of don't do good, uh, don't do bad. I mean, um, So I feel that just as Peter speaks freely about God's sovereignty, God's sovereign will and election, and he also assumes man's free will to obey or disobey. It makes me feel his comfortable uh, doing that makes me feel comfortable reading it. I don't have to figure out uh, predestination and how it fits and stuff like that. I just know God's Spirit in me makes me want to do good and not do bad. I think the application that I end up uh, with in that is, is that I'll see if I can find the, the summary I put. I liked it. Um, There are Christians who have spiritual experiences that I don't have. And so sometimes when I read stuff like this, um, the, the spiritual parts of a book like this, I'm going, well, maybe there's something that I have, haven't experienced yet. Maybe there's something spiritual that God would, would want me to learn. And, and, and we're going to have some training in our small group about listening to God. I hope that maybe that will, will help me and, and you too. Um, an application that I have is to be both trusting and obeying. Those things are related to my conscience. And so I'll keep feeding my conscience with words from the Bible. I'll keep listening to my conscience during meditation times. I will keep obeying my conscience, hopefully, in my life choices. And I hope you do too. that I looked back on and reflected on in 1 Peter.
they start with the phrase, well, let me tell you where it's at first. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 26. Let me read those for you. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was, that was preached to you. That first verse in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. How do I do that? You know, I mean, that is setting kind of a high standard as I think about that. How do I be pure in my soul? And how is my soul purified? Bob referenced that just briefly. How does How is my soul purified? And how do I love someone else earnestly? From a pure heart. I see those kinds of verses and those words and I can get kind of discouraged by it. It doesn't seem, first of all, to be an easy way of entering into that. Because like I said, purity is such a high standard. What is, how do you obtain that? So those kinds of questions rise in my mind when I, when I read something like that. But Peter, in a way, tries to give us a sense of what that's about and how, I, how we might be able to go about doing that in the next few verses. And really, I relate it to these verses because the example that he uses is something that I see outside of my door every day. You know, when, uh, when COVID started, um, I wasn't much of a gardener to begin with, but I started gardening to the extent that I could. When I was stuck at home, I couldn't go to work. So I decided that I'm going to work on my backyard, and I'm going to plant things, and I'm going to try some things. I'm going to try different ways of seeing what comes about as a result of my effort. And so, uh, as the last three years have come about, I've planted different things in the front of my yard, and I planted them by seed, with seed. And uh, just put them in the ground and decided, well, I'm going to see what happens. You know, just what's going to come about because of that. And in verse 23, Peter is writing, since you have been born again. Okay, so he's leading into the idea of, okay, love and obey, have a pure heart, have pure soul, because you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And that struck me again as like, well, how do you think of imperishable seed? How do you think of a seed that lasts forever? The, the extent of my gardening lessons has been knowing the difference between annuals and perennials. <laughs> annuals are something that you have to plant every year. And they'll come up every year, and then that's it for their time. Perennials, you put them in the ground, and they're like a bulb or whatever, but they can stay in the ground. And they'll grow up, and they'll blossom, and they'll go away, but next year, they'll grow again. So is that what it means by being imperishable? This repetition of growing every year, that this is an imperishable seed? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's still like, uh, a quality about that that doesn't quite fit what he says about the word of God. 
Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. In a way, to me, that word imperishable means that there's an ongoing living aspect. There is an abiding aspect of it. Certainly perennials, perennials come up each year, but there's a downtime. They go away. They're dormant. They don't really die, but you know, they, they, they still go away. So this idea of living and abiding word of God struck me as like there's something more about that. So the perishable seed, what is that? In comparison to this imperishable seed that Peter seems to be referencing, this is the word of God. This is an imperishable seed and it has been through that seed that we have been born again. So we need to pay attention as to what it is about something that is perishable. And what does he mean by perishable? Well, he goes on in verse 24, and this is his description of of what is perishable in his thinking. And again, he's using this idea of, well, here's these seeds, now here's this idea of a garden. In verse 24 it says again, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. He's equating perishable with flesh. Well, I'm a human being. I have flesh. And I can certainly understand what it means to be perishable in my flesh. I'm getting older, and my body's wearing out, and I'm suffering aches and pains. And I can go on and on about my complaints and all that kind of stuff. But all of us share that. All of us have some idea of what it means that, boy, we want our lives to be better. We want our bodies to be healthier. We want us to be sustaining and our energy and all that. But we know that there's a limit to that. And there's going to be times where it's like, oh, this isn't quite working. This isn't quite going the way that I want it to be. And I get disappointed in that. I mean, I really sometimes get discouraged, too, that I realize there are certain things that I can't do anymore, things that I was able to enter into. Um, Sometimes I feel like my mind is going a lot more, that I'm forgetful about things. I set something down, I can't find it. You know, it's, it, it's all that kind of stuff. All those little things just start kind of adding up. So I understand what it means to be in the flesh. This is my body. The way that I want it to work is not going to be working the way I want it. It is perishable. But I think Paul's, or Peter, Peter's idea of flesh is a little bit bigger than that too. Because he says, all flesh is like the grass. All flesh. So I think he's taking into consideration all of humanity, all of mankind, all of what mankind produces and creates. All of that is like grass. All of that. It's glory. Everything that we can see, that we can imagine, that man has built up and created, all of that is going to perish. It's temporary. It grows up, it flourishes, and then there's an end to it. It falls. It comes and it goes. And I watch, I watch the flowers that are outside, all the plants that are outside of, of my house in the front of my stoop, and it's wonderful when they all come up and they're blooming. I planted seeds like the end of May or something like that, and only now are they coming up and blooming. It took forever, I felt, for them to come 
And now it's like, wow, these look really great. They're all clustered together. But already, because of rain and wind and storms, things have blown over. Things have been, uh, well, things have been blown over. They've been wilting. Already I can see that they are descending into wilting and falling at this point. So that activity, that growing, that flourishing, that time of importance, mankind enters into those kinds of activities. We raise ourselves up in terms of importance. We build these giant nations. We erect these huge buildings. All of that speaks to what mankind can achieve. And yet, it is going to perish. It makes me think then, okay, if there is all of this human activity, all of this work of the flesh, and then there is this living and abiding word of God, how do I respond to both of those? In my flesh, I look for things, I admit, that really don't do me any good. What I examine my life and I go, what is it that is growing in my life that I have allowed that ultimately is perishable, that is not going to be a benefit in my life? And if I am living for those kinds of things, what is the point? Because they're not going to sustain. They're not going to be sustained. They're not going to sustain me in my life. And yet what Peter directs us to is, is that when we consider those kinds of things, when we consider the scope of what our life context is, and when I consider my life in the context of me as an individual, and what I am surrendering myself to, what I'm taking hold of, what is the difference? What is perishable? What can I identify as perishable? What can I identify as that which will be lasting and long-lasting in my own life? And Peter is pointing us to the word of the Lord. The Lord, the word of the Lord remains forever. And it was through the word in my life that I came to know and understand who God is, what work he has done, what work he has planted in my life, what spirit he has given to me that will never end, that will never perish, that is living and that is abiding and that I can take comfort in and that I can take strength from. And it's, it's more than that, that it's not just a word that has been given to me, but it is a word of living and abiding God. The word leads me to a person, to a being to whom I can depend on and to and who I can rely on. A living God. So it's more than just the word that is given to us. We can treat this as just another book. The Bible is just another book. Another way of trying to understand ourselves. But it is through this book that we are pointed towards a living and active God, and his word is what is living and active and can be imparted in our lives. So while I am not satisfied or I don't believe that I can be as pure as what the expectation is in that first verse, that is what I want to strive for. That is what I want to hope in. I really want to love other people from a heart. I really want my life to be affected 
in my soul. I want that word to be implanted in my soul. It's deep things. It's deep matters. It's the deep thoughts that I have when I lay in my, lay in my bed at night. And all these other things that I can do that are superficial and, and you know, temporary, I want to take hold of those things that sustain me deep in my life and deep in my thoughts. I want those changes to happen and occur in my life. I find it interesting that, that uh, another way that, I, whether Peter intended this or not, those, that verse that says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory, well, he's taken that from the book of Isaiah. So he's kind of taken a reference from back in the Old Testament and put it in the New Testament. And a way for me, it's kind of like, hey, he's showing us how this is a living and abiding word of God. It was relevant for those people back then, and now I'm going to give it to you here. And that's indeed what he says at the end of verse 25. And this is the good news that was preached to you. This is good news that the word of God is a living and abiding word and that it comes from a living and abiding God. So I hope that as I have seen the example in my garden in the front of my house that I reflect on those things that are temporary, that are perishable, those things that will wilt, that will go away, that I will be able to look at my life and see more and more what is it about my activities, my thoughts that are perishable, and how can I take hold more of what the Word of God has to say in my life, to my life, and that I can depend more and more on God who has given me that Word. And may that be true for all of us. So let's pray. Dear Father, we desire your word to live in us. And we take hold of the promise that your spirit abides within us also. So may we hear your voice. May we respond in obedience to how you would like us to be directed. May we honor you with our lives. May our strength come only from you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.